You're listening to For the Record, a Registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Christy Wold McCormick, Assistant Vice Provost and University Registrar at the University of Colorado Boulder. And I'm Noah Geisel, Micro-Credentials Program Manager at the University of Colorado Boulder, and this is Micro-Credentials and You. Welcome to For the Record, a Registrar podcast sponsored by Acro. I'm your host, Doug McKenna, and today we're going to be talking about micro-credentials. If you've been on LinkedIn at any point in the last two years, you have seen evidence shared of the completion of a micro-credential. Certificates, badges, and emblems are but three examples of micro-credentials. Today, we're going to be talking about how micro-credentials fit into the overall framework of higher education. How does an institution go about implementing a micro-credential? And then how do they tell people about it? And most importantly for us, what role do registrars play when an institution implements a micro-credential option? Joining me for this episode are Christy Will McCormick, Assistant Vice Provost and University Registrar at the University of Colorado Boulder, and Noah Geisel, Micro-Credentials Program Manager, also from the University of Colorado Boulder. So Christy and Noah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug, for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) Nice. So before we jump in, would each of you take a moment and introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about you, and then a little bit about the institution, CU Boulder. Sure, I'll kick it off and then Noah can join in. Um, I'm Christy Wold McCormick, as has been already stated, and I'm the Assistant Vice Provost, University Registrar. I have been at CU Boulder for seven and a half years approximately, and we have been just working really hard on this initiative the last couple of years, but doing a lot of cool things with innovation and in other ways to leverage technology across the university. CU Boulder is part of a four-campus system. We currently have about 36,000 students at the undergraduate, graduate, and professional level. And as is stated in our name, we are located in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. Noah, how about you? Yeah, I'm Noah Geisel, and I... uh... I'm a Colorado native and was just always grew up a CU fan and was definitely not allowed to go there as a student. So I'm kind of fulfilling a dream getting to work there as an adult. And I've been at the university for just over a year. And, and, you know, I really kind of feel like I'm getting to work my dream job in helping to figure out just how we can bring about micro-credentials at the University of Colorado Boulder and, and change the world. Right on. So since you brought up micro-credentials, why don't we jump in there and talk about them? Since it's the topic of the day, also, that's helpful. Let's start with you, Noah. You have micro-credentials in your title, even. What is a micro-credential? Yeah, great question. I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, it's about kind of micro learning. So something that's probably smaller than a degree and probably even smaller than than a major, minor, even certificate program. And, you know, in my world where I get really excited and think it's just transformative stuff is also when we start bringing in things like digital badge credentials as a way of communicating about the micro-credential program, just the learning achieving that happens. Uh, I just see that as being just transformational stuff in the space of education for how we can do that storytelling, empower learners, and, you know, really hopefully, uh, you know, 
make a difference in, in a more equitable society. I appreciate that you started sort of with the framing of the curriculum overall. And so just so that we're all same page in it, at the undergraduate level, a degree program is 120 credits, right? And that 120 credits is broken up into maybe a set of college or or university-wide requirements, a general uh, gen ed uh, set of requirements, and then maybe a specific college set of requirements, and then maybe like 30 to 45 credits of a major, and then the rest are sort of electives or students will use them to pick up a minor or a second major, et cetera. Where on the spectrum of sort of numbers of credits would a micro-credential fall in this framing of the undergraduate curriculum breakdown? And obviously, that's this is a pretty large generalization. Not all institutions follow that sort of model, and we're only talking about the undergraduate level right now, blah, 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 blah. But against that backdrop, where does a micro-credential fall? You know, to your point, it's still very early days. And so it is going to look different at, at SU Boulder than it does you know, at, at a lot of other campuses. But specific to your question on four-credit undergraduate uh, micro-credentials, what we've really focused on you is something that I hear Christy speak about that I really value is that really a three-legged stool of, you know, stuff that we're looking for things that are consistent with the frameworks we've established, things that are meaningful and things that are worthy of uh, of the CU brand. And so you know, that was really our starting place. And on the four credit side, we decided that they really need to be larger than one course. You know, as registrars, that makes sense that, you know, the, the course is already on the transcript. So it kind of is a little bit redundant to be credentialing something that's already there. But at the same time, not stepping on the toes of some of those other things like certificate programs and, and degree programs. So it needs to be smaller than whatever a certificate program is in the offering unit. And then on the non-credit side, we, we're also pursuing that, but maybe that's putting the cart ahead of the horse. So I can slow down on that front. <laughs> No, so many questions. So you you brought up a couple of things. I just want to put them on the parking lot and we'll come back to them. So about transcripting micro-credentials, that, that was one thing that you mentioned just now. Numbers of courses involved and then not wanting to overshadow some of the existing credentials. And so before we get there, I want to maybe take a step back because Christy, you mentioned this about how You've been working really hard on bringing about micro-credentials. So tell us the story of how that all happened. What was the process at CU Boulder to bring a micro-credential program into being? Sure. Great question. And I think this story is going to play out a little bit differently at different campuses based on the people who are involved, who are those innovators, who are the ones that are getting their self um, invited to the table for those conversations. And um, to be honest, you know, we are not, you know, the first ones out of the gate. There are a a couple schools that we were looking at that were already doing some really great things in this space. But we started having conversations. Um, When I say we, um, that's from a variety of places on campus. I get random questions from faculty members like, do we do badging? Can I do badging? How do I do badging? Um, I have conversations with our continuing education area, for example. So, Questions would pop up from time to time. And so uh, about three years ago, we gathered a group of 
various campus stakeholders from different parts of campus, from IT, from academics, from continuing ed, from our graduate school, and just started having a conversation about, you know, do we want to be in this space? Do we want to start offering micro-credentials or do we think they're a flash in the pan? You know, we're starting to get questions. How should we respond to these questions when they come up? And so we had determined that, yeah, we're likely, you know, going to find ourselves in this space. And so uh, shortly thereafter, uh, we learned that at our system office, there was a uh, procurement of a badging platform for the campuses to use. And so... This is where I really jumped in even more than I was already to say, okay, we have in, we have a platform now. We've got departments that are interested in this, but we can't just start issuing badges nilly-willy. We want to be able to have a protocol. I mean, this is what registrars do, right? And this, this is, is why we're we involved. Do. And this is why I started asking questions about how do these get approved? What are our standards? How are they going to be recorded? How are they going to be verified? Um, how are they going to be communicated? How are they billed? And pretty soon people were like, well, Christy, why don't you uh, kind of help lead this up? <laughs> It's always dangerous to raise good questions in meetings know, like that. I know, but trust me, I've cleaned up some other messes that I wanted to make sure I didn't have to repeat that in a few years with micro-credentials. Right on. <laughs> right on. Yeah, so, so shortly after that, we actually did put together a, a group of people that started talking more intensely about this. And our university was also going through this really cool innovation and funding kind of grant program. And through that, I uh, wrote a proposal to get some funding to get a dedicated person to oversee micro-credential initiative on campus. Fast forward a few months, we have Noah. He's knocking it out of the park, really helped moving this forward. Because ideally, I mean, this is a brand new initiative, and there's a lot—not just building the foundation and and getting buy, you know, stakeholder buy-in, but all of the technical, you know, steps, all of the policy steps, the communication steps, and to have a dedicated person that can really oversee this rather than just working on it in fits and starts, along with other responsibilities that somebody has, I think is really um, advantageous. So, if a school can do that, uh, strongly recommend it. It should be. A significant portion of somebody's job responsibilities, if not exclusively that. Right on. So that's what Can we've I done. Can I interrupt and, for yeah, a moment? Absolutely. A couple of clarifying questions. Out of these early conversations, was there ever a formalized group that was sort of charged with pushing this forward? And and what's the status of that group now? Is it a an ongoing standing committee, work group, etc.? Uh, and then to whom? Does that entity report, if anyone? Yeah, so I'll tee this one up and then hand it over to Noah. So that group of informal stakeholders that we're talking about, where do we want to be in micro-credential space, ended up being formalized into what Noah and I have branded the Micro-Credential Advisory Committee, otherwise known as the MAC. And so Noah leads that up, and I will let Noah talk a little bit more about what that body does. Great, because I'd also love to know sort of who is included in that group now that it's more formalized as well. So Noah, please. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, as Christy mentioned, it's stakeholders who have, you know, reason to be interested. 
And so they're, they're showing up not because, you know, somebody's making them for the most part. It's folks who are true believers. And so that that's really helpful. And they're also kind of title wise, a, a whole lot, a, a lot of higher ups for, for lack of a better word. And, and so you, we have representation from OIT. We have representation from continuing ed, um, student affairs, the graduate school. Uh, there's faculty representation. And one of the things that this is, you know, just super helpful for my work in, and I think really speaks to Christy's skills in just change management is there's so many stakeholders who are higher up who are really concerned with the success of this. And so they're doing word of mouth marketing. And so previous to, to being at CU Boulder, anytime I've been working in digital badges, micro-credentials, it's, there's a lot of selling. And frankly, I don't have time to sell because everybody's just knocking, you know, emailing me saying, hey, I talked to so-and-so. They said that, you know, we need to talk to you about, you know, proposing a micro-credential for this. And so, you know, having those stakeholders at the table is great, not just because they're going to think of things that we don't think of and, and help make us all better, but also just as champions, um, they're invaluable. And, you know, another thing, just going back to your question that you teed up for Chrissy before about the registrar's role, you know, for, for your listeners, I can't emphasize enough how powerful it is to have it be led out of the office of the registrar in our work. You know, when I first started in, in November of, of 2020 and just really spent the first several weeks reaching out to anybody I could find on the internet who's doing this work at higher ed. And <laughs> when people found out I was in the office of the registrar, they either were insanely jealous or insanely living in fear of the day their registrar starts to take notice. And so that those kind of two <laughs> things really highlighted for me, just the power. And as somebody who's, you know, totality of understanding the registrar's work is basically informed from binging this podcast and, and studying what, what Christy and my colleagues do. It's really informative to me of just the, the powerful role that, you know, we as the keepers of the record can really bring to this work. Yeah. This is so great. The progression of this is has been fantastic. And the way the sort of the thread that we're weaving through here. I think is going to make a lot of sense for people as we listen, because as you were telling me about the Mac, you mentioned, you know, people were calling and saying, I need to get something approved or how do I get something approved? And so could you talk a little bit about what the process is to create a new micro-credential or, and then, you know, what the decision trees are, is this going to be credit, non-credit? Is it, you know, and I don't even know what they are, so I will, I'll stop there and let you tell me what is the process yeah and I, I think before we do anything we probably should start with offering giving credit where credit's due we were hugely influenced by the work out of university of buffalo and Ann reed's office there and really kind of that 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 provided a great starting place but also christy really led the you know max thinking and guided me in, in helping us to get to a place of figuring out what, what is kind of our guidelines and framework. So if, if we're going to do these for credit, we already mentioned they need to be larger than one course, smaller than you know these other credential programs that we offer. But when we say that it's larger than a course, that doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be two courses. And so we do have instances of people bundling a course with something that's outside of uh, the, the curriculum that we're offering, whether it's an industry certification, a case competition, internship, externship. Uh, we even might be seeing stuff coming along where they're bundling things together from Coursera offerings, for example, with some sure. of our existing content offerings. And then on the non-academic offerings what we, and non-credit offerings, 
we're, we've empowered really every unit on campus to propose. So it, it could be something that's for matriculated learners, but it could also be things for faculty, staff, um, and, and community stakeholders as well. And so what, what we've really landed on on that is that it is focusing on the meaningfulness that it needs to be meaningful. It's not just a sit and get. It's not just a, a seat time credential, but also, you know, that we're really p- pushing people in their proposals to articulate what's the criteria that somebody has to meet in order to do this. So it's not just they had to pay their money, show up successfully, exhale shortly after inhaling, you get a credential. There needs to be some sort of criteria that separates you know, the, the who's there and who's not yet there. And we also do take advantage of the fact that when with these digital verifiable credentials, we can attach evidence in the metadata. And so on yeah. our non-credit offerings, we're also um, requiring that that people attach evidence that learning artifacts to show this is how, this is not just the criteria, but also here's how this individual learner met the criteria. That's phenomenal. I was reading an academic article about digital badging utility, the utility of digital badges in higher education settings. And that was one of the things that the authors were saying is that the badge needs to mean something and it can't just be you show up and you get the badge. And then also it needs to be verifiable. And so when you mentioned pulling that information into the metadata, and I'll link the article on the show notes page as well, so that you yourselves can read the study. This is a world of opportunity for research right now. And so if you are a listener at home considering a master's degree or considering a dissertation topic, digital badging in higher ed specifically is a target-rich environment for research questions. So I offer that up there you go. You're welcome. Can I just um, make a comment too? Because I know throughout this Absolutely. conversation, we have been talking about micro-credentials. We've been talking about badges. And sometimes we find when people are new in this space, one of the first things they want to understand is what's the difference between a micro-credential and a badge? Are they the same? Are they synonymous? Are they different? What are, what are we talking about? And, and I think just to kind of level set to make sure um, People yeah. are understanding, you know, what the difference is. Micro-credentials, at least how we've been defining them, are really those programs, those learning opportunities, whether it's experiential, whether it's, you know, lecture-based. And it's that, that, that curriculum you put together, and that's the micro-credential program, whereas the badge is the artifact the credential that is awarded to you. So we often say on our campus when we explain this that a badge is to a micro-credential program what a diploma is to a degree program. So I just want to put that out there to help anybody who might not quite understand the semantics. I love it. That's very helpful actually for me as well because I often use those two interchangeably and they are not the same thing. Um, So thank you for that clarification. You've mentioned a couple of times that you have a platform at the system for the CU system. Are you comfortable sharing what platform you're using? Sure. We are currently using Credly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners at home, you couldn't see it, but everyone was looking at each other like, uh, (laughs) should we or shouldn't we? So Credly is pretty common, and are, I don't know of many others 
uh, other platforms. I think there's another one called Badgley. I think there's or Badger. The Bad- Badger. That's mm-hmm. it. I often confuse Credly and Badger. And then I also get the line from Blazing Saddles stuck in my head about we don't need no stinking badges. And so that has been a mantra that I have encountered when I am involved in some of these conversations where I am. And so, no, you mentioned that you don't have to go do the sales where you are now, but not everyone will be in such a receptive environment. And so what is the pitch that you might make to a group of people at your institution in order to sway some of those minds to say, okay, micro-credentialing might be something we should look into? Believe me, I, I've heard the Blazing Saddles uh, <laughs> thing quite a bit over the last 10 years of my professional life. And, and so I get it. I'm and sorry. I'm sorry. Don't, please, it's, if we can't take the criticism from our friends, how are we going to you know, justify what we're, the work we're doing to, to people who are more critical? So yeah, and to me, it, it's, it, it's very much about, you know, I, I think it's on a lot of levels, but the primary one for me is that it's, it's scratching a really important itch. Right? This is not some... You know, hammer looking for a nail. That there is a really big problem, not just in K twelve and higher ed, but really the the quote unquote real world of we're not good at hiring. And you know, at best, a lot of you know, if you look at Adam Grant's research, you know, and things like that, it says you know, at best, we're good at determining if we're going to like somebody or not. At you know, and, right. and so that that that's a problem, and it's, it's a really expensive problem. And so, you know, when we look at things like verifiable credentials and the ability, you know, as you and Christy alluded to, with the metadata, to where we can make these assertions align with things like skills um, and competency frameworks and standards frameworks, we're able to all of a sudden get to a place, you know, where, where we have this future world where maybe, you know, we're helping people who deserve opportunities connect with the opportunities that need those people in them in ways that are blind to race, gender, last name, um, ability, and, and, you know, that to me is where there's this huge equity opportunity in this space, as well as just an opportunity to do what's right and do what's best for the world. You know, that there's efficiency things for, you know, your companies that need cogs in the wheel, but also for the humans, you know, there's ways of just doing a better job of, of connecting people with opportunities. And, and I'm really passionate about it. That's a great, great point. And I want to emphasize that by including this quote from Ruth Watkins, who now works for Strata. She's the former president of Utah, not the state of Utah, but the University of Utah. Anyway, uh, she was speaking at a Stage X event on the future of higher education. And she was talking about how how she was seeing more institutions moving very assertively into short-term credentials programs. And then she followed that quickly by expressing concern about the people who really need them being unable to access them or that they don't understand how to translate those into employment opportunities. And so one of the questions that I have for you both is how do we do a better job of making sure that micro-credentials are just not more frosting on the cake for the people who already have the cake, you know? There's a bar to get into higher ed anyway, and if micro-credentials are not socialized beyond higher education, how are we accomplishing the things, Noah, that you were just describing of making this a more equitable way of, of tearing down some of these barriers for people to get employed 
to advance their careers, et cetera. I, I was going to say that I think, you know, that is why exploring non-credit opportunities and expanding your learner population. You'll often hear when people talk about micro-credential and badging, you know, they'll all, will often say the word learner as opposed to student. And the reason is, is because if you can expand beyond your matriculated, matriculated learner base, look at how do you deliver some of these opportunities to members of your community, to staff who are maybe don't have a degree, but they're working at your university supporting everything that we're doing. How do you expand these opportunities to those populations? How do you partner with, you know, corporate corporations in your area that you can help their, their employees become even more skilled and more competitive? So there is really, I think, a lot of opportunity if you just think outside the traditional ways of academic credit based for matriculated learners, because there's so much more there. And I think that touches on some of that equity. And, you know, I don't want to um, get too much into this conversation, but, you know, we also at, at the university level, when you're looking at implementing these, have to have some really important discussions about funding models and budgets. Are What is your yeah. goal with micro-credentials? Do you want these to be revenue generating? Do you want these to be revenue neutral? Do you want these to be free of charge for matriculated learners? What about people who aren't matriculated learners? How much do you want to make them accessible? So I think these are all part of your important discussions as you develop your philosophy, your purpose, and why you are doing these at your institution. Yeah, the funding model question is a really good one and a very applicable one when we talk about the role or the involvement of the faculty, which is another question that I have for you both um, before we wrap up our conversation. Because faculty are pretty tapped out with the research that they're supposed to be doing, the teaching that they're supposed to be doing, uh, the service that they're supposed to be doing, et cetera. And so if you layer on for them in their minds, another thing of having to work through this, you know, micro-credential development stuff, um, you know, th that gets back to the, the underlying why are we doing this and understanding and being able to communicate that mission of expanding access, making these things more equitable. So I think they're really interrelated, those two um, items. And I'm glad that you brought up the, the funding model because it's an important question to think through as you even contemplate starting or expanding a, a micro-credentials program. Yeah, just to the faculty point, then I'm going to let Noah jump in, um, is that we get that question, like, how can we ask faculty to do one more thing? They are so stretched. And when we are, when we've been rolling this out, that was never our expectation. Now, chairs may have different ideas, but our expectation was not that this would be a requirement, an additional thing for faculty to do. However, many of our early questions about can we do this? Are we doing this? Came from faculty. So we know that there are some faculty out there who have some really cool, innovative ideas that really make sense for um, turning into a micro-credential in a, you know, a program. The other thing that we talk about a lot on our campuses, it doesn't always have to be new things that are being developed. 
there are already, if you look, survey the landscape of all the cool things and learning that's happening on our campus that's not being transcripted or credentialed in any way, how can we identify those things and turn them into micro-credentials so that students have something much more verifiable that they can share with an employer, with, you know, another institution that they might be going to graduate school or anything like that. So it, it's really for those that want to do or are already doing some really interesting things that maybe aren't in those conventional ways of academic credit and transcripting. Yeah, I'd love to just piggyback on that equity question again. And and this, you know, on our financial model, we do in the proposal form have an access and equity question where we, you know, have folks who are proposing a micro-credential respond to, you know, what are you going to do to to strive for equity and access and, and not just limiting that to, you know, the, the cost of participation, but also potentially kind of think, getting them to think around things like 360 wraparound supports to uh, help people not just get into a micro-credential program, but successfully complete it. And I'm really proud of our work on this. I, I think that, you know, something, we're just in a moment where it's a privilege to think that these are, that equity is a nice thing to have. Right, that it is no longer something we can just leave up to to chance and say it's nice to have. Otherwise, we just perpetuate a system that continues to do really well by the people for whom it's always done really well. And exactly. so, you know, we we really are are taking the responsibility seriously, and we think it's aligned with the university mission to to really be laser focused on not just leaving that to chance and actually asking the hard questions. I'm going to ask about recommendations at the sort of later part, or maybe now. Let's talk recommendations now for institutions who might be considering implementing a micro-credentials program. You've mentioned a couple of things, but to recap and to put a pin on this is to include some, to be thoughtful and intentional about the access piece and the equity piece and the support piece. The other thing that I jotted down as a recommendation is to have a, a broad set of representation of stakeholders in some kind of uh, working group. So those are those are two that I've taken away so far. What are the what recommendations do you have to other institutions who might be contemplating this kind of um, development process? And uh, two quick ones that come to my mind is know your why. That's a great starting point, I think, in any sort of change management. And then, you know, the second thing is to really be thoughtful about who are the consumers of these credentials. And, and that is, I think, a bit of a mind shift for a lot of people and a lot of institutions to think of it not just as, you know, when somebody completes this, with whom are they going to be sharing their credentials? And what is that? What are the implications of that to this work? And so that that's something we work into our proposal form is getting people to actually think proactively of, you know, what's the benefit to your campus unit? What's the benefit to the learner? What are, who are external stakeholders who might be consumers of these credentials and what is the benefit to them? And, and to really be thinking about that because that's language that can then show up in the catalog. It can show up in your marketing materials. And in, you know, in the case of our learners, it's in some cases, probably, you know, basically giving sentence starters that help them with the first couple lines of a cover letter. And I would just add too that take the time. I mean, it's easy. You can you can procure a badging platform. You can start issuing badges the next day. That's easy. 
But take the time to build your foundation, to build your processes, your your infrastructure on your campus, because once that cat's out of the bag, it'll be tough to kind of pull back in if you don't have a really good process. And so know how these are going to, what are your standards? What are you defining as, you know, what are the, to make sure that they have the quality and the integrity that will bear your institutional brand and your name on it. So you don't want to just go into this haphazard and, and uh, so take the time, whether it's months or longer to really build that. And, and, you know, going back to, you know, some of those points we talked about earlier, how do they get proposed? How do they get approved? How are they marketed? How do you track your learners? How do, how do learners declare they want to do this? How do you verify completion? How do you assess these? You know, just like our other programs, you want to make sure there's some regular assessment going on to see if they're still viable. And they're probably going to be much more fluid because they're so micro. They're going to require that at a much more frequent cadence. So take the time is what I would say. Build your build your um, good group of stakeholders that have very objective, you know, views with learner and university interests at the forefront. And have a dedicated person to manage the overall process, if at all possible. If, if at all possible. If at all possible. You mentioned couple of things there. The benchmarking is where I want to go with this question. Are there standards for a micro-credentialing credential across institutions? Is there like, is there a common marketplace where I can say, I got the resilience badge at George Mason University. And so that would then be recognized at CU Boulder as the wellness stage two or whatever, you know, what are, we're creating a different vernacular and we're creating another set of potentially non-interoperable, non-exchangeable credentials between institutions. And so how do we avoid that problem? And maybe it's already been solved and I just don't know that there's a body of someone's out there who are saying these are the things that need to be in place for this to count as something, something that wasn't a question so much as a, well, no, it is a question. How does that work? How are, how do you know that a, a micro credential earned somewhere else means something if, if the student brings it to you or the learner brings it to you and either wants to stack something on top of it to say, you know, now that I've gotten this far, I want to go to the next step. Or are these, is this where we are in the conversation with micro-credentials nationally, that we need to be thinking about these types of things and registrars in particular need to be communicating about these kinds of things and concerns and sharing information broadly as we move forward uh, on an institution by institution basis. No, you're nodding. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, th- those are really important questions. I, the shortest answer is TBD. Um, <laughs> there is a lot of Wild West happening, and there are really smart people working on these uh, problems and and, uh, and to tr- treating them not as problems, but you know, kind of design challenges and opportunities. And sure, you know, there, there's a lot of um, collaboration between you know not just higher ed but also industry. And and by the way, for any listeners who are interested, these are free. These are not. Uh, gate kept conversations they, you don't they're not pay to play you you can get involved and so there there's groups 
being led by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce working on this. Um, yeah. Western governors is uh, in Arizona State are doing some leadership work in galvanizing conversations around this. Both Western governors and Arizona State were also speaking at that referenced StageX event where uh, Ruth Watkins was. And I'll link the video to that panel discussion in the show notes page as well. So. And, and to the point of Arizona State, you know, I, I saw maybe an hour before this, they they posted that they're going to be issuing 100 million badges by 2030 to people all over the planet Earth. So for anybody who's <laughs> thinking Christy and Noah are here talking about a, a flavor of the week, this stuff's going to be really ubiquitous really soon. And I think yeah. what you're talking about is going to be a major concern for, for registrars of how do you, you know, what how do you have um interoperability of what at the end of the day is, is basically currency right it, it's skills yeah. currency and competency currency and so there are people working on it and you know I, I like i think one of the nice things is it's not a new problem right that that you know for decades you've had correspondence courses where you could get a phd and you know that didn't necessarily create confusion in the landscape of of what what is valuable and what isn't in a PhD, right? And so that that gives me some comfort that we will figure out ways to overcome. But also, I, I think it's really exciting that we start to get to a place of, you know, maybe I, I heard a quote from a British poet that said, "Knowledge isn't knowledge until it's acknowledged," and we start to get to a place of maybe acknowledging things, especially that are valued in underserved populations and non-dominant culture populations that we all of a sudden can acknowledge and credential and, and really value for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. And I think too, you know, because industry is doing a lot of this too, and you know, they're going to do what industry does, but from a higher ed landscape, this is why we're starting to have, not starting, we're continuing these really important conversations because as these things are really beginning to snowball, we as institutions and higher ed professionals are realizing that it will behoove us to come up with some industry kind of our own industry standard definitions and language. And there's a lot of effort being done in that space. UNESCO, for example, came out with a report recently that really talked about how do we define micro-credentials versus macro-credentials, which I thought was really interesting. And ACRO currently has a work group underway to put together some guidance and best practices for registrar admission professionals related to micro-credentialing and badging. I think as a higher ed industry, if we can get ahead of this and show that we're being responsible, we're creating some consistencies and using terminology similarly, then it'll start having more I, th I think things will have much more recognition and credibility in industry and with our accrediting bodies and you name it. Yeah. So one last question before we go, and I just want to say thank you both for taking the time to chat through. There are many questions that we could still delve into in a lot more detail in the process. The thing that I want to ask about right here at the end, opening up a big can of worms, is about the rate of technological change. And the transcript has been the transcript for 100 years. A micro-credential issued through Credly, Credly has not been around for 100 years, and we're not sure that they'll be around for the next 20 years. So not that I don't have any inside information. Credly could blow up and be, you know, the next globally dominant, whatever. How can we as registrars, as the keepers of the record, 
what concerns do you have about the rate of technological change and how do we keep these micro-credentials backward compliant to so that in five years, when all of the systems have changed, we're still able to represent the same credential potentially in a different way. Again, like we might just be at the earliest stages of this and we're not to that point in the conversation, but I'd love to hear sort of, is there an obsolescence concern about the technology that's being used in order to either issue the badges or track the micro-credentials? Yeah, I think uh, I kind of want to defer to Christy on this because Christy has some really thoughtful ways of describing how we, you know, we, at least right now are, you know, very intentionally not transcripting these things. Um, But also when we think about the technology, you know, I I think it's wise to have data persistence concerns um, with companies like, you know, those that we've mentioned, you know, incredibly who we use announced this week, they were just acquired for $200 million. So they're probably going to be around at least a couple of years, but uh, you know, it also does make sense that, that we want to be the keepers of the record and we want things to, to persist. And, you know, I do think, and Christy, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe Doug, you'll end up editing this out, but, you know, in much the same ways where we have digital versions of our transcript, you know, that we use X, Y, or Z vendors for, or for our, you know, certified electronic diplomas, right? Those are just the containers, right? Those are our software, you know, partners who are helping us get those out in a way that's interoperable, you know beyond our campus borders. But at the end of the day, that the actual transcript is still living with our office, right? And and so I think that that's really an important distinction to, to keep in mind, unless I'm completely bonkers and way off for where you were going with the question. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important that we, you know, you know, the institutions still need to know who their learners are, what credentials are being issued. And and as Noah said, these vendors are they're they're kind of a utility to help us get these these badges out to students. But um, if if they fold, we still, you know, the students really own, they're the owner of that credential. They've downloaded it. They will be able to share it, you know, in perpetuity, you know, potentially. And, and the other thing that I think conversations are happening, and you've been part of these conversations as well, Doug, are around things like the comprehensive learner record, where yeah. I believe that that is a perfect vessel for things like micro, you know, for badges to be stored for some of that other, um, you know, learning that is not always on a traditional transcript. Yeah, Again, if it's aca- stuff, absolutely stuff. Yeah. that the badges, you know, d- deeper links into, you know, what they've done with their research with field experiences, things like that. So I really do think that these have a home there. I think what we're seeing on our campus is that at least in these early days of what's been proposed and, and, and approved and what's being offered, we're seeing a lot of these non-traditional, non-credit based activities. And so I think the reason why, you know, not every, all of these are going to go on an academic transcript is because they're not all credit-based. And so if we really want to keep the transcript a pure academic document, that doesn't mean this other learning isn't important, but we want to find other ways that students can, um, you know, earn these credentials and share these credentials and have these credentials verified. And not everything needs to be on the transcript. Well, Christine, Noah, thank you so much for taking some time to chat about micro-credentials today. Like I said, there's a lot that we could talk about still, but for today, I just want to say thanks for taking the time and being guests. You've been wonderful. 
Absolutely. It's been fun. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. And, and Dalia, if you want to take your podcast on the road, we, we are going to be hosting a, a badging and micro-credentialing conference in, in Boulder uh, this summer, the Badge Summit, uh, the, the CU Boulder Badge Summit. So uh, uh-huh. hopefully we'll have a date by the time that uh, you go live with this episode so we can drop a link into the show notes. But maybe you'll be able to come and host a live panel that you record for a future episode. That'd be amazing. Let's and watch that. for the ACRO work group report too, which we will hopefully have a good outline to share with members at the annual meeting and get some feedback on that as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Noah. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening. We recorded this in February, so happy Black History Month. The Center for Racial Justice has some excellent resources about Black History Month. There are zero parts of American history that have not been molded, shaped, or influenced by the contributions of Black people. We can, and we must, continue to strive to make our society more equitable, more tolerant, and more just. Black History Month is an opportunity for white people especially to educate themselves about the continued challenge of what it means to be Black in America in 2022. Let's look out for each other. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not share it with a friend or a colleague? And as always, I'd love to hear from you if you have an idea for an episode or feedback on a previous episode. You can reach me at registrarpodcast at gmail.com. Upgrade your mask. Drink some more water. Stretch your legs. Move your body through space. And if there's some funky music playing, shake it around a little bit. It's good for you. Thanks again. I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record. For the Record!